This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 821 with Katie Ferraro. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 821. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Katie Ferraro is on a mission to help parents and caregivers give their babies a safe start to solid foods without spoon feeding. Katie is a registered dietitian, a mom of seven, which includes a set of quads, a set of twins, and a singleton. And she's a baby-led weaning expert and the host of the top-rated, wildly popular parenting podcast called Baby-Led Weaning Made Easy. In addition to her work educating tens of thousands of parents about baby-led weaning, Katie is an associate professor of nutrition at the University of California, San Francisco Graduate School of Nursing and an assistant clinical professor of nutrition at the University of San Diego School of Nursing and Health Science. She's a lecturer in the Exercise and Nutrition Science Program at San Diego State University and has authored a number of textbooks and chapters on clinical and infant nutrition. She knows her stuff. <laughs> I knew I was going to love talking to Katie as a shameless mom of seven. Like we, I don't know if we've talked to a shameless mom of seven yet. So that was, I just knew it would be a really fun and enlightening conversation. But I also learned so much about baby feeding and feeding in general that I can even apply to my very picky 11-year-old. So this is not just a conversation for parents of teeny tiny littles. This is a broader conversation for parents of young children in general. So you might be surprised at some of the golden nuggets you get here today. So listening to hear Katie share how she grew her family from zero to seven kids in three years. Yes, zero to seven in three years. (laughs) The evolution of parenting seven children over the last nine years. How she shamelessly asked for and received help to care for her babies. What baby-led weaning is and how it inspired her work today. Misconceptions about baby-led weaning how to engage your kids who are past the age of baby led weaning and the benefits of baby led weaning. And this is where it comes into play for the kind of the little older kids like mine. And then the three rules of engagement for parents feeding your kids. This was so, so enlightening. So three rules of engagement for parents feeding your kids and the three rules for keeping kids autonomous around feeding and eating. So sometimes there's a misconception that baby led weaning is about kids just getting to do whatever they want. And it's not that at all. 
So this part's really, really important. And it's really fun and interesting when we dig into this at the end. So you are going to learn a number of things. Katie's going <laughs> to enlighten you about parenting seven children, but also really, I think, give you some unique perspective around feeding that I hope is really, really helpful, especially if this has been a challenging area for you. So with all that, please join me in welcoming Katie Ferraro to the Shameless Mom Academy. Katie, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So my friend, Julie Fry mentioned your name to me. And I think actually it maybe was even in person. She's like, I have an idea for you. I have an idea for a guest for you. And Julie's like the master connector. She's actually been on the show before. And I'm like, anytime Julie has a suggestion, I listen. And then she sent me something via email that was like a little more like a little bit of a deeper dive into your work. And I had to just stop. I didn't even get to the deep dive about your work. I was just like, wait, she has seven children and four of those are quads, two are twins, and then a single. I mean, can we just start there? Like tell or us at about some lady on the street the other day, she, she saw what was happening and she goes, you totally cheated, didn't you? I'm like, what? She's like, you had to be pregnant three times. And I was like, yeah. Uh, and my mom's like, you also, also only have to have three birthday parties. So like, I get the benefit of having seven kids, oh, but I only have to have three birthday parties. Oh Although my, my quads are turning it. seven or they are seven and one's a girl and she just figured it out. She's like, could I maybe one day have my own birthday party without these three boys? And I was like, yes, maybe someday, but not oh my right gosh. now. So right. they're going to start putting it all together. Like all the workarounds that you thought you had all dialed in. They're going to be like, wait I, a minute. We had seven kids, three and under for a while. And it's like, whatever I could do to get out of that phase and live to tell about yeah. it. I'm like, heck yeah, you can have your own birthday party now. Like we yeah. don't six kids in diapers at one point, which was oh my insane, but they're a little bit bigger now. And I'm happy to report that my twins are going to all day kindergarten in <gasps> exactly 13 days and like five hours from now. Oh and gosh. I dropped them off at this camp this week to like get used to kindergarten. And the, some of the other moms were crying and I'm not a particularly <laughs> emotional person, but I felt like such a cold hearted, you know what? Cause I was like running out of there. I was so excited. I'm like, why are you crying? Like, this is amazing. These kids are going to school. Right. Children belong right. in school. Like the thought of getting to work six hours a day, like, oh, after, you know, five years of never yeah. being able to work a day. I, I am beyond excited for that. Life-changing, life-changing. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it so much. I want to ask, can I ask a few questions about the creation of your family? Cause I'm sure people have questions. Your first child is a singleton, right? Is that your nine-year-old? Yes. Singleton, but all my children are, I am not a fertility expert. I'm a registered dietitian and I feel so far out of the fertility world, but they're all the product of reproductive medicine. However you want to say that. Okay. So my okay. oldest was IVF. My husband and I, okay. I was 35 when I started and got married and started having children. I'm from a big family. I'm one of six. My husband's one of four. Like I always thought the idea of a big family was cool, but like I didn't get my act together until 35. And I was like, I'm probably not ever going to have a big family. So we did have a singleton. I transferred two embryos, got one daughter, like the vaginal birth, the whole nine, like the normal way, I guess mm-hmm. at first, which was cool because then Shortly thereafter, we got pregnant with quadruplets and I was not intending to get pregnant with quadruplets as people like, how many eggs, how many did you transfer? Like people ask specific questions. Well, first, what they usually ask is do multiples run in your family, which is like a polite ish way of being like, did you do fertility? But they don't because they're all fertility induced, I guess. But with the quads, I was doing fertility medication treatment. I was working insane amounts of time and I was super stressed and it wasn't going well. My doctor's like, you know what? I only see three eggs on your ultrasound here. Like we're not transferring. You're not going to get any embryos out of this. Just Mm. you need to quit it. We're going to come back and start next month. I was like, all right, fine. I said, well, give me that medicine that like makes you ovulate. You know, I'd like to like maybe try it the old fashioned way, but I've been you know trying unsuccessfully for a long period, diagnosed infertility, advanced maternal age, geriatric, all the mean things they say to you when (laughs) you hit 35. I had all the same things. All of those. Great. Thanks. I really feel positive about getting pregnant now, but then (laughs) we ended up getting pregnant like the old fashioned way, went to Santa Barbara, had a bunch of wine. The doctor's like, you better be careful because there's three eggs in there and you could have triplets. Well, turns out there were really four eggs on the ultrasound. She didn't see one of them. All four hit, all four stuck. And then if I'm pregnant with quadruplets, I'm like, oh crap. Like, okay. So there's a 50% chance of major handicap with a quadruplet pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So this is like, I mean, full lifestyle change, full stop. I cannot work 60 hours a week. I need to quit all. I was a consultant dietitian at the time, literally doing any job I possibly could that would pay me so that I could pay for my fertility treatments to have another baby. had to stop all of it. And I never went on bed rest ironically, but I just kind of like put myself on bed rest because the average gestation for quads is 20 eight weeks. So like you're shaving off a whole trimester there. So 50% chance of major handicap immediately got freaked out, stressed out, but it was like a lot of pressure to reduce down to two, which is kind of protocol. And we decided not to for various reasons. 
and I ended up going 34 weeks with the quads. Wow. Yeah. And it's as long as they'll let you go. I did have a C-section, which I was like, please just get these babies out of here. Um, mm-hmm. As we got past the 30 week mark and it was like, this might not be so terrible. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had reached out to have, uh, friends in the San Diego area where we live from a hospital system. And they were like, Hey, can we follow the end of your quadruple pregnancy? Cause you're going to be having the babies at our hospital. It turned out to be a good story. It could have gone either way, but we had like yeah. 35 people in the delivery room. There's like a Whoa. doctor for every baby. And there's a camera crew on top of that. So someday oh. when the quads are older, I'd be like, do you want to see the footage of you guys being born? Because it wow. actually was part of a documentary that our hospital system did. And they ended up being totally healthy. They stayed in the NICU for a while, you know, growing and getting stronger, but I feel very fortunate because again, there is this 50% chance of handicap. And right from that time that the doctor told me that the next thing she said was just don't Google anything. And it's like, you know what? You're right. Like she goes, because families with severely disabled kids don't have blogs of their quadruplets. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. at the time, like TLC was doing every show. If you had four or five or six kids come out of yourself at once, like TLC had a show about it. And I just blocked all of that out to like, kind of keep my head down and get through the end of that pregnancy. And and then when they were 18 months old, I was like, so my husband, I'm like, I don't really feel done. He's like, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Oh my gosh. I cannot uh, imagine. All well, of our listeners are like, hold on. You have five children like, under the age of three. I know. I know. You don't and feel done. I didn't feel done. And because I've asked my other sisters-in-law who had kids, I was like, how do you know when you're done? And like, it's just, you're, you either, you know, when you're done, I was like, I don't have that feeling. Like, let's just try to have one more. So we had two more embryos transferred and ended up getting pregnant with twins, which at first I was like, oh my gosh, more, but then it, it, people are like, oh, it's going to be twice, half as easy for you or whatever. <laughs> you only have two versus four, but it was kind of crazy because my quads were born at 34 weeks and they were two and three mm-hmm. pounds each, but my twins were born at 38 and they were like six and seven pounds. So I literally had like the same number of pounds of babies, just Interesting. half yeah. as many. And, and they thankfully were healthy as well. But then at that point I, I was like, oh my gosh, and then seven, you knew three and under. Yeah. You know, you're like trying to recover from a C-section. You have like four toddlers like, jumping on your stomach and oh. you know, all the parenting people are like, don't tell your kids, like, don't touch the baby. Like I probably screamed, don't touch the twins. Like those are the first words that the quadruple right? I remember <laughs> just screaming at them because it, it was kind of brutal, but we got through it and now they're going to kindergarten. So oh there is light gosh. on the other end of the tunnel is the yeah. long and the short of that story. Yeah. I'm imagining, you know, I think we all have this experience as parents where the adage goes of the days are long, but the years are short. And I'm imagining when you have that many in such a short window that the days are extra long and the years are extra short. Like I, I do tear up is- at that statement. I mean, I think that when yeah. that one hits my heartstrings, like you're yeah. right, like stop complaining about this. And you know, it's summer right now when we're recording this and all that stuff on Instagram, like you only have 18 summers with your yeah. children. And 75% of the time that you spend with your child is done by 12. And I'm, some days yes. I'm like, oh my God, I wish they were 12. Like right, right. long, long, long days. But again, yeah, we, we wanted to have a big family. I feel very gracious that we have a big family. And I, I've always been kind of see the silver lining and just a naturally positive person. I mean, my, I don't have big kids being like, that's a baby show. They all watch the same show. They all mm-hmm. like the San Diego Padres baseball team. Like yeah. they all are kind of doing the same thing where from yeah. an outsider perspective, like in our old house, people used to walk by, it was kind of more like forward facing and they'd be like, is this a preschool? And I would just say, yeah, like if I didn't have time <laughs> to explain it, cause it, it kind of looks like a bunch of kids doing totally. stuff at the same time. And they all are their own unique personalities and do have their own unique interests. But right now, especially in the summer, which is just brutal. I mean, I just told them mm-hmm. everyone on my team, they're like, I'm, I'm MIA until these kids go back to school because yeah. they do demand so much of your time, but you only do get one shot at raising them. So you I do know. need to spend the time with them totally. as annoying as it can be. I know. Right. It's so tricky. I had a lot of wishes around like, let's hurry it up when my son was really young. And, and I mean, still, sometimes I do, he's 10 and still sometimes there's days like, okay, like, let's just get through this phase. But they're also like, I'm increasingly so aware of that time is so fleeting because we, I am starting to see some of that detachment, which you maybe not have not yet seen so much, but it comes. No, I wish around. there would be more detached, but no, so I understand. At age 10, it really does. It's interesting in the fourth grade, how much that started to happen. Like, yes, mom, you can walk me onto the playground and give me a hug goodbye and like shout, I love you from afar in front of friends. Like that was very much happening at the beginning of fourth grade and definitely not happening at the end of fourth grade. Okay, good to know. My oldest is going into fourth and I I love to learn from parents who've already done it. Like what, how do you deal with the screens and this and that, like the stuff that I've never had to encounter because I don't really have time to read all the books. I'd rather just talk to the people who are living it. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yes. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. 
Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder, so if you are a heavy heavy shedder, or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself, and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. So you said that you've always envisioned this large family, and I'm curious what the evolution has been since you began, you know, when you began and you had five toddlers and two newborns. And I'm sure everything felt chaotic and overwhelming and so incredibly hands-on. What has that evolution been now that they have a little more independence? I'm st- sure they're still all very clingy, but- it, Well, you- one thing I always say is that it's definitely a three adult job. So mm-hmm. my husband and I are still married. People, that's another question. People are like, are you still yeah. married? Like, yes, yeah, we're yeah. still married. We very much like each other. It was, it's hard. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. I remember- when the quads came home. So they came home one at a time over the course of a month. So a month after they were born, the last one came home. So that's actually fairly fast, but they were also 34 weaker. So it was just, Mm. thank goodness they came home one at a time. But the first night that they were all home was Valentine's Day. I don't care about Valentine's (laughs) Day to begin with, but all I remember in the middle of the night was like the two of us trying to feed four babies and my husband being like, you know, I have a call in two hours. You know, I have a call (gasps) in two hours. And I was like, oh, I don't really care about your call. Like we're trying to feed these babies. And then I was like, oh, this man, like, he can't stay up all night and feed babies with me and work all day. Like what, yeah. what was my plan here? Like you can't, right. you, I got to a point where I could feed three at once and I was pumping exclusively. Oh, I never yeah. even tried to nurse. And I don't mean pumping exclusively. I was pumping like crazy and still had to supplement with formula right. and I could get to a point where I could feed three at once, but there's that one that's screaming their head off in the middle of the yeah, night, like yeah, yeah. all the time. So right. very quickly, I realized like, I, I need help. I, I physically can't do that. I cannot breastfeed them. I didn't even try. I'm just going to pump, but I can't actually keep them alive by myself. And the person yeah. at the time I, I had to kind of like shut my business down to nothing. I was running around like a chicken with their cud head off as a consultant dietitian. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. I just knew that my job was to keep these babies alive, but my husband needed to work. Yeah. Like, sorry, you get out of nighttime feeding, but who's going to help me? So I got really creative about finding people to help. So I always encourage parents 
don't be afraid to ask for help. Like, don't you love when someone you love asks you for help? Like I love oh, nothing yes. more than helping it's someone. An ex- and yes. It's an expression it, of trust. Exactly. Like, I trust you enough. Yeah. And, and you need help. And especially in the middle of the night, like when mm-hmm. I was like, oh my, we're going to get divorced on Valentine's day. Like this is yeah. tragic. We were in the NICU. We were always on the night shift because we would get there after we hang feed the babies. And there was like these lovely nursing students. And we're like, what's the deal with the nursing students? Like, oh, they're trying to get extra experience with premature babies. I would like, well, would any of you like to come to my house in the middle of the night? for basically minimum wage and help me feed these babies. And so we started having nursing students who they were all vaccinated, which is important to me with immunocompromised children coming into my house. And this was back in 2016. They would help us feed in the night. They would sleep on the couch because they didn't have an extra room. They wanted extra experience with babies. I had, uh, I didn't have $40 an hour to pay for a night nanny, Right, right. $10 an hour for a couple hours each night just to help me feed them. So I could sleep for two or three hours in between pumping. And that kind of like opened my eyes to like, it's okay to ask other people to help. And it doesn't have to cost a million dollars. We lived in a neighborhood, which like it's an old lady's neighborhood. I love it. Lots of grandmas. I just started opening my door around happy hour time and was like, <laughs> would anyone like to come feed babies? I made friends oh with gosh. every single one of my neighbors. They oh would all gosh. come over because we were on a tight schedule. They knew exactly yeah. what time it was a 10 a.m. feed. At 2 p- they would come over. I would give them wine. They would hold the baby and feed the baby. And I made new friends. They helped me. It didn't cost me anything. And it was like this kind of whole community approach. And I always say like my kids have like 20 different grandmothers. And to this day, we still see those neighbors like, I remember you when you're a baby. And the kids are so annoyed by that story. But like, you were the pesky one. You were the screen. But like, they remember that. And that was a special time because we we weren't in a position to to have childcare that we could pay for. Um, And then when they got a little bit older and I really needed to go back to work, um, we ended up starting... Uh, to use au pairs. So we've mm-hmm. always been an au pair family since the quads were, or when my twins were born. So for five years, okay. we've had overseas au pair come. And I used to think, oh my gosh, au pairs are for like fancy people, but I couldn't afford a full-time nanny. I had family members who would help, but I'm like, I need something more consistent. And the au pair yeah. program is so wonderful because you, you're you hosting a younger person who comes to help you with childcare, but they're also there for cultural exchange. We've had um, two German au pairs, a Dutch au pair who just left after two years, who was amazing, a new Dutch au pair actually arriving tomorrow. So oh, wow. I'm not ashamed to say I need help, but I do have to find an affordable way that works for my family. Yeah. And yeah. and I love share. There's enough love to go around, and but having three adults has really been helpful. And at this point, my travel, yeah. my husband travels almost 100% of the time. So a lot of times it's just me and the au pair. You know, familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. Like we sometimes have too much of each other, but there's, I feel like there's at least like they're not in danger because there was definitely times when it was me. I was like, this is actually dangerous. Like I I should not be with all of these children at once in the earlier stages. And now I like, I think I'm like such a badass when I can like go to home goods with all of them. Now, granted, you have to deal with people being like, are they all yours? What's happening here? (laughs) I don't mind it. Like I'm a talker. So I go out and invite it, but I just love that they're in a little bit more of a safer kind of like self-sufficient phase. Like my girls are emptying the dishwasher right now because amazing. They want to watch some gymnastics thing on TV. I was like, hey, here's the deal. Empty the dishwasher so you guys can watch the gymnastics yeah. thing while I do this interview. I love it. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. You mentioned before this that the quads who are seven were loading the dishwasher and then they wanted to play baseball. And I was thinking, huh, seven-year-olds loading the dishwasher, my 10-year-old not loading the dishwasher yet. So I'm like, note to self, I'm going to take a note. I love like you probably have this kind of natural integration in terms of everyone in the household has to be a helper because there's so much caregiving that needs to go on. And I'm taking notes right now. Well, I feel like we do a lot. I do a lot more and I'll just, I, some parents say bargaining, it's straight up bribery. Like you guys want to go to the library, like summer reading, right? They all want to go turn their reading thing. in. it's like, you guys want to go to the library today? Someone needs to clean up the toy closet. And I do, I have a babysitter who's here today for four hours because I have 1200 hours of work to do that. I'm going to try to do it in four hours. So, so I do have someone there like helping me when, because they they can't do this all independently. My oldest is is nine. She's super responsible. And I would say I probably give her a lot more responsibilities than other nine-year-olds, but she gets it. Like, do you want to be able to go to the pool with your friends later today? We need to put the work in now. Like I got to do my work now so we can go to the library later. And I feel like they just kind of learn that. And that's, I'm very grateful that my business is work from home and my kids see me working, but I'm also very grateful that we do have a smaller standalone structure on our property where I can go out and work and like, they're not Mm, allowed to come in here if there's another adult watching them. And to me, that's really important. Like they know, like you can't be around me 24 seven. And and we were talking about this earlier. Like you can't be around your kids 24 seven. Like that's not, 
we know when they're babies, you have to be, but as they get older, you do have to give them that independence. And kind of funny story yesterday, I had to take my oldest nephew to high school orientation. So my sister has six and I have seven and we help each other wow. out. Like, oh my gosh, I'll have, I don't, I mean, once you hit at a certain threshold, like bring me more kids. Cause now right. they're entertaining like, each other. It's actually making my life seven. easier. And the 13, he has a freshman in high school and my sister's out of town with her husband. They haven't gone away in over a year. I'm like, She's oh, but I'm going to miss freshman orientation. Let me do it. So I go to freshman, like watching the high school kids. I'm terrified of them. Oh, I work with babies. Yeah. I love babies. They don't talk back. They wear whatever you make them wear. They eat whatever you have them eat. The high schooler kids were so scary. And I watched all of these moms doing everything for their kids. Like the counselor was literally to one student in front of me in line. What's your name? And the mom answered for him. I was like, whoa, dude, these parents, like they're not, they don't let their kids do anything. Oh, yeah. And I know they're trying to help, but it's like, are you going to sit with them in their classroom and do their freaking algebra with them? Like, I think some of them think they are. And mm-hmm. sometimes I just get grateful. Like, I can't do all this stuff for my kids. I physically don't have enough mm-hmm. arms. So they kind of figure out how to do it on their own. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I love, I want to just touch back on the asking for help and shamelessly asking for help. I think that's something that is that we don't do often enough. Moms, women, I think women have too much pride to do that. And I think it's because of the way we are you know, the cultural messaging that we receive over the course of our lives that we can and should do it all because we have the opportunity to do it all. And we should always be proving and overproving ourselves. When you have seven children under the age of three, like you've already overproved yourself by just walking into that situation. But I think that the shamelessly asking for help is such an incredibly special thing because of the way it creates community around you. And I love, love, love that I, that your children have these extra grandparent figures in the neighborhood because of that. I also think of myself, like my dream when, after my son goes to college is to like live in a place where I can take care of neighbor's babies. We have an extra neighbor that has a three month old right now. And I am constantly like, when can I hold him? Well, like I call him my baby and I actually, yeah, like, how I, can I help you? Yes. Yes. And they're always like, are you sure? Are you sure it's okay? I'm like, yes. Like, give me more of the baby. So yeah. Yeah. I, I love that idea. Like it's such a win and a gift for everyone. It's not just, Oh, poor Katie, someone needs to help her. It's like, and and no, I'm not getting like- on social media crying about it. Cause the, I know that people, and I, we've had a fairly prolific Instagram account since the quadruplets were born. And I've really actually, I mean, maybe time for a different conversation. I recently closed my family Instagram with about 120,000 followers. I have a, I teach infant feeding. My specialty is baby led weaning. My work time when I'm on social media is dedicated to helping other people's babies start solid foods. And it was really hard to keep up two accounts, but also as my kids got older, I mean, I'm really of that ilk of, I wouldn't say I overshared it. I really enjoyed Instagram of seven years ago and sharing the quadruplets and people are sending me emails. I'm so devastated. You closed your family Instagram account, but my time with my kids is in person. And my time online is with your kids, helping them how to start Mm -hmm. solid foods. And that's been a big shift for us. And something my seven-year-old said, we went, the thing that kind of broke the camel's back for me, we had a really positive experience on social media. I didn't get down there and bitch about it. People would say, that lady has too many kids. But our following was like, oh, we love watching the kids grow up. We love the way you guys interact. Not what I would want for myself, but like I enjoy watching it. But my seven-year-old girl, the quadruplet, she said, after spring break, she said, hey, mom, it's kind of creepy. The teachers at school know that we went to Idaho for spring break. How do they know that? And I was like, well, I was posting about our ski trip in Idaho and all our teachers follow us. I follow them. I was like, whoa, wow. She didn't ask for permission. I didn't ask her permission to put that stuff out there. And there's so many of them. They're never going to all like, I'm just shutting the whole thing down right now. And it was like such a drastic thing for me because I've loved to share my family because it kind of was a coping mechanism for me. Like, oh, yeah. When the kid takes the talcum powder out and throws it all over the room at nap time, I'm like, oh, this is good. Like, I just want to show you guys, like, I'm not cleaning this up till tomorrow. But like, it was just something that has to change. Your kids get older and and things change and the way you share and the way I ask for help now is different. Like, if you live in my neighborhood and you have a pulse, please, can you come and babysit for me? Like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm always there too. I'm not saying I trust anyone to watch my kids, but like right. there's kids in our neighborhood who are like, oh, I don't know how to babysit. It's like, come show you how to babysit. Like mm-hmm. I need someone to watch them in the pool while I'm folding the laundry or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It yeah. looks different in the different phases of life, but I just love the idea of like, don't be ashamed about it. Like you're not, and it doesn't yeah. have to cost a ton of money. That's the thing I think people think yeah. whenever you start talking about childcare on social media, it just, you know, that third rail. Like, oh, it's because you have a lot of money. It's like, no, I don't have a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but I need a lot of help. So how can I be creative about it? Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. You just gave a great segue. You were talking a little bit about your work and about your boundaries between work and family. And I love the boundaries. I love how clear that is for you that like, I do this here and I do that there. I think that that kind of clarity can be really, really helpful as we are trying to make decisions in motherhood and decisions around parenting and decisions around how to have boundaries in our lives. 
I want to dig into your work though, because this is a huge part of what I wanted to talk about today um, in terms of the work that you do. And I love that you recognize like the work that I do online is to help other people with their babies. And the work that I do behind the scenes is to like, you know, raise my own babies. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and about what inspired your work and then what it looks like today? So I've all, I'm a registered dietitian. My mom is a dietitian. I, when I was getting ready to go to college as the oldest of six kids with parents who were both self-employed, but like, it was definitely a sacrifice for them to help me pay for college. They were like, you have four years. Like we will help you for four years, but you're going to have all the loans. You're going to pay it back. Find something that you think you want to do. I'm like, oh my God, I'm 18. I don't know. But I knew my mom was a dietitian and I saw how she ran her own business. She could drop us off at school, pick us up. She worked when we were at school, but she was there for sports and I liked food. So I was like, I guess I should just be a dietitian. But I ended up loving it anyway. And I did many different things, I would say, for the first about 16, 14, 15 years of my career, mostly in adult nutrition. When I started Solid Foods with my oldest daughter, the singleton, I just like any mom did what the doctor tells you to do, like put her in a high chair, shove some rice cereal in her mouth. And if she doesn't like it, that's normal. This feels weird. Like she can't really sit up. Like we like liked breastfeeding and like I liked feeding her for the first couple of months. But like this thing where I'm trying to like shove food in her mouth and she hates me like this is not fun. Mm -hmm. And I I recognize now she wasn't ready and and we don't do white rice cereal anymore. And force feeding a child by spoon is the best way to lead to food aversions and food refusal. Like I did textbook everything I now teach parents not to do, but I was just following the advice of my doctor. And at the height of our feeding frustration, like our oldest, she would not eat. I was making, I was asking my husband to do it. I'm like, I don't want to be involved. Like she hates food. She hates me. And I remember my mom and sister invited me to a play date when the, when Molly was like 15 or five or six months old. And I remember that they said, you want to come, but it was lunchtime. And I was like, I'm going to, I just lied and said, I couldn't go to the park because I didn't, it would be lunchtime. And then they would see me struggling to get her to eat. Mm, And I would feel like such a failure because what kind of mom can't feed her own baby, including a dietitian mom. So at the height of this kind of feeding frustration stuff was when Chuck and I found out we were pregnant with quadruplets and like a normal person would look at the ultrasound and be like, Oh, how am I going to teach four kids to drive at once? How am I going to pay for college for kids? My first thought was, how am I going to feed four babies at once when I can't even feed the one baby that I have at home right now? Mm -hmm. And so I I told you, they ended up going 34 weeks. We didn't do the reduction. We ended up having four healthy kids, but they were in the NICU and they were on tube feeds. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. Like the milk that I'm making is not enough for them and supplementing with formula. And I remember a colleague was there helping me feed the babies. And she said, how's it going with solid foods with your oldest? And I was like, actually terrible. She hates being spoon fed. She hates all the purees and the cereals. I think she hates me. And this colleague said, well, why don't you try baby led weaning? And I was like, baby linguini? Like, what are you talking about? I never heard of this. She's like, oh, baby led weaning. It's where you wait till the babies are six months. So I was like, whoops, definitely started too early. You make Finger foods that are safe and soft, the baby picks it up and learns to feed themselves. There's no force feeding. There's no short order cooking. It helps reduce the severity of picky eating. They eat a wide variety of foods, reduces food allergies. I'm like, wow, this all sounds too good to be true. And I'm a college nutrition professor and was at the time as well. And I was like, let me talk to some of my like act. Sorry, I don't do like the woo woo parenting stuff. Like I'm not into that. But then I talked to my feeding colleague professionals. I was teaching at the University of California at San Francisco at that time. And they were like, no, baby led weaning is legit. Like there's some real data that supports a baby's ability to feed themselves starting at six months of age. I'm like, let me look into this kind of poured myself into learning everything I could about it. And at the time there was resources about what baby led weaning is and why it's better than force feeding your child, but there was no good information on how to do it. So when the quad started solid foods, I was in the sharing phase and we had a pretty prolific Instagram. And I was like, we're going to try this thing called baby led weaning. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm scared to death but we're going to do it because I physically cannot force feed these children and my older kid hates food. So we figured it out. It was, it was tedious. It was hard. I didn't know what foods to feed next. I'd get stuck on the simple starter foods. I didn't know how to make meats. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they need to be getting iron. I was freak out when they gag, but we, we pushed through. And as I got close to the, before their one year birthday, our account was just about hitting a hundred thousand at that point. I said, I want to do something. It was back in the day when you like celebrate a hundred thousand on Instagram or whatever. And I was like, I started counting the foods at the eight. I said, oh my God, the quads have ate over a hundred foods before they turned one. And this kind of light bulb went on was like, if you look at conventionally spoon-fed babies, they've only had 10 or 15 foods by the time they turn oh, one. Oh, totally. I'm like thinking right? of my kid. Like, I thought I was winning by making all of this food. But oh, like, I thought so too. Making food that they hate and don't like. And by the way, they can eat real food. And what we know is that starting in the second year of life is that most children experience some degree of picky eating or food neophobia. You've mm-hmm. all seen this if you've crossed that 12-month threshold. My baby used to eat all these foods and now they don't. 
you're not a bad mom. Your child is being a one-year-old. It's developmentally appropriate for those children to become pickier. And if you only have 10 or 15 of those foods that the baby can eat by the time they turn 12 months and they lose those 10 or 15 foods, that becomes a very challenging child to feed. Those are the kiddos that end up in feeding therapy. But when I looked at, gosh, babies can eat over a hundred foods, right? You lose 10 or 15 of those, no freaking big deal. You've still got 85 or 90 foods that the child will eat. Yeah. And so this whole idea of the 100 first foods approach was born. And to be honest, it, it was hard when we started, but by the time they turned one and they could drink out of an open cup, they were getting most of their nutrition from food. I wasn't scared of them choking on meat. They, I was so confident because I'd stuck through this program for six months. I was like, this has been transformative, life-changing. I only want to teach other families how to do this so that they don't have the pressure and the burden and the stress of force feeding purees that I did with my oldest. So I kind of switched the whole emphasis of my career to focus exclusively on baby led weaning. And then when our twins were born, I actually, I didn't want to spam my family account with like insane amounts of baby led weaning content. So I spun off a new account, started it at zero just to track the twins hundred first foods. Oh. And that it took a long time, but it picked up speed. And at, at a year point had already surpassed my family account has been growing since then. And then once I got the twins through it, I was like, transition the whole vibe to be like, let me show your babies how to eat a hundred foods before they turn one. Mm -hmm. So we launched a podcast starting at the beginning of the pandemic. It was perfect time. I mean, COVID was very, very good for our business because parents were home. Like I got to, totally. I got to feed this kid for the next 17 and a half yeah. years of its life. Can you just show me how yeah. to get it to eat food during that all important flavor window, right? Babies will like and accept a wide variety of foods, but not if you don't offer them. So we right. teach parents how to make a hundred different foods safe for their babies to eat before one. And it's been this just super fun, like kind of global phenomenon watching, you know, families from all different food cultures all around the world, babies of different abilities and backgrounds and different disease states where it used to say lists of these are diseases where babies can't do baby led weaning. And we've single-handedly worked with professionals to be like, you need to change that. Here's a baby with Down syndrome and here's how they do baby led weaning. Here's babies with cleft lips and cleft palates. All children deserve the right to learn how mm -hmm. to feed themselves. They do not need us to force feed them. And so that's kind of the whole crux of our approach. I now run the largest digital community community dedicated to baby led weaning, sharing tons of content on our podcast, our Instagram. We have a relatively new YouTube channel, but I do also sell a digital program that shows parents how to make all of the hundred first foods safe. Cause that's what we hear from parents. Just show me how to do it. Short of like, just come to my house and make the food, which is right, right. possible, but yes. we help and we focus on safe food preparation because there's so much misinformation out there in many mm. aspects of parenting, but particularly in baby led weaning. It mm. historically has had this very judgmental approach and we kind of strip all that away. Like I only want to be positive. I want to focus on all the foods your child can eat, but you do need to prepare them safely. And that's where you kind of the expertise as a dietitian comes in. Yeah. Are there any misconceptions that you want to share and shut down? Mm hmm yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, don't go on Facebook. I and mean, we actually recently closed a very big Facebook group just because mm -hmm. like this is tied to negativity and misinformation. And, yeah. and I want to be a source of, of positivity and evidence-based research about foods that babies can safely eat. So yeah. stay out of the Facebook groups because they're generally run by moms who fed one child who have mm. absolutely no business teaching infant feeding and who spread a lot of misinformation. Like all anecdotal. A hundred percent. Or this happened in my, with my one baby. And what, mm -hmm. you know, part of my story is I like to tell my origin story is that I did, I was frustrated and I was confused and I was scared and I did do a lot of stuff wrong, but by looking into the research about and about infant development and what children can do for themselves. Our babies can do so much more for them for themselves than we think they can. And they don't need us to force feed them by spoon. But one of the biggest fallacies and misconceptions about baby led weaning is that it involves skipping purees. Parents be like, why are there purees on your hundred first foods list? Well, like a food like yogurt, you guys, is a naturally pureed form. Like you, mm. I don't, we don't need to freeze yogurt to make them eat it by their hand. You can, if you want to, but you can honor the self-feeding principles of baby led weaning and still offer naturally pureed foods. Like like oatmeal consistency or yogurt or unsweetened applesauce. We do that with a method that's called the preloaded spoon. So we teach parents how to put the food on the spoon, put the spoon in the baby's hand, and then the baby learns how to guide the spoon to their mouth. Mm -hmm. And so our babies start learning how to eat with the spoon at six months of age. They're not proficient at it, but by 12 months of age, mm -hmm. these kids are rocking utensils. They're drinking out of an open cup. Amazing. They can eat a hundred different foods. You know, it, it's such an important period not to stress parents out, but like you mm -hmm. start with this six month old who gets a hundred percent of their nutrition from infant milk, it's breast milk or formula. And by 12 months of age, most of their nutrition can be coming from food. So you got the six month practice. I kind of like call it like the preseason. My husband hates when yeah. I do like sports <laughs> analogies, but it's like, like preseason, like it's ugly, right? Like totally. you don't really know what you're doing yet. And you're trying to work the kinks out. And like, 
This is where your baby is learning how to eat, but babies don't magically wake up on their first birthday and know how to eat a hundred foods. We need to take advantage of that weaning period. And we teach all sorts of textures. And for the parents who are really scared about moving off of purees, we remind them that there's research that shows us that the children who've had the least amount of practice with finger foods are actually at an elevated risk of choking. If you mm. only give your child purees by 12 months of age, that child goes to feeding therapy because they cannot handle different textures. And mm. then they are nutritionally compromised because they're not getting most of their nutrition yeah. at 12 months of age. So not, not to, not to scare parents, but that weaning period from six to 12 months is so, so important. And everything is on your side because babies want to do this for themselves. Like parents are always like, oh my gosh, it's so much easier when they actually feed themselves. Daycare providers love us because they're like, wait a minute, the babies are actually doing the work for them and I don't yeah. have to feed this kid. You're like, heck yeah. Like everybody who who sticks with it. And that's what I love about my work is like we do all these follow-up surveys and like, because parents come to you at the, like, this is so hard. This is awful. Yes, this is terrible. I said, yeah. But I'm also going to email you eight weeks from now and be like, tell me what's happening right now. Oh my God, you're totally right. The baby turned the corner. They're eating everything. My mother-in-law is so excited. The baby's eating sardines. Like we were at a restaurant the other day. People walked up like, is that your baby eating real beets? Like everyone says it's the, it's the best decision I made for parenting because food is so fraught, right? You, yeah. a lot of us as parents are coming to the space with terrible relationships with food. And we don't want to project our weird food stuff onto our kids. Your baby's a blank slate. They will learn to like and accept a wide variety of foods, but it is on us to make those foods and make them safely. And that's the very, very small world of baby world that I feel like I can help with. So I also love it because babies don't talk back to you. They literally just eat whatever you put in front of them. It's like, you know, big kids have lots of opinions, but babies are just like, we're having lamb for breakfast. Cool. Right, right, right. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toes all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest so now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs with over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless this episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like 
a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Okay. So I want to talk about, because now there's people listening who are going to have, who like are having about to have their first or about to have a second or third or what have you, or we'll do that down the road. And they're like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then there's a whole bunch of people like me, maybe even with younger kids than me that are like, oh shoot, I missed it. I didn't do it. Now, so are, do you have suggestions or recommendations for folks who did not do baby led weaning and are wanting to help their children be less picky or be more adaptable when it comes to food? Like, can you undo the things you might've, where you might've missed the mark? Oh, I love that question because baby led weaning is one of the few things that appeals to a second time parent, right? First time mom, she's going to buy everything on that registry. And then you're like, dude, I didn't need like most of that stuff. But when they have a picky eater eating toddler and they did force feeding by spoon, or they just struggled with purees and now that kid doesn't eat anything, they're looking for any alternative. And that's when a lot of times parents find us. So we do work with a lot of first time parents who are like, oh, I'm studying baby led weaning and I haven't even had the baby yet. And I'm like, wow, you are so organized. But a lot of parents are like, dude, I kind of beefed it on this first one. Like, can you help me with the second kid? And what's so cool is especially with toddlers, anytime you can involve them in food preparation, mm-hmm. they are much more inclined to eat that food, right? It's, okay. I get it. It's so annoying to cook with your kids, in the yeah. but it's so important. You yeah. know, two-year-olds can crack eggs, right? Three of you can learn how to cut with knives. Like, and if we teach a five-step feeding framework where I introduce five new foods a week, we do a new fruit on Monday, a new vegetable on Tuesday, a new starchy food on Wednesday, an allergenic food on Thursday, or a protein food on Thursday, rather, and then the allergenic foods on Fridays. Five opportunities a week for the toddler to be involved in helping to prep the food. And if you work and you can only do it on the weekend, then you do your food prep on the weekend. But if you can get those bigger kids involved, what does this food look like? What color is it? What does it feel like? How would you describe it? What does it taste like? Is that salty? Is it sweet? You're using food, which you have to make anyway, right? Like I don't play with my kids, but I definitely cook with them because like, (laughs) I don't have to play, but I do have to cook. So get over here and help me cook. And and the baby is experiencing the new foods at the right pace, but the older children Mm -hmm. are continuing to be reintroduced. And, and, you know, exposure is key, right? So I have some parents are like, oh, I tried broccoli. The baby hated it. So we're never doing it again. Or I got to put like nacho cheese all over it. Like, no, a baby may need to see a food 10 or 15 times before they like or accept it. And with bigger kids as well, it's repeated exposure. And so where the hundred first foods list kind of comes in, I think it's so important in family feeding is that it also helps expose other family members to a wider variety of foods. Like we have 20 foods on our starchy list, most of which are whole grains. And most parents are like, Okay, beyond potatoes, pasta, and rice, like I don't know any other carbohydrate foods. Well, here's how you make sorghum. This is what TEF is. Like these whole grains that are cheap, good sources of iron, plant-based protein, like we all know we should be eating more of that. If you can incorporate it into the baby, if you have to use the baby as the excuse, that's fine to make TEF. But the point is Mm -hmm. everyone else in the family is going to try a new whole grain. And maybe there's one less day of a refined white carbohydrate that you guys are using in your family. That's wonderful. So I love when I hear from families that are like, okay, this kind of made all of us eat some more foods. And now you have this toolkit of like, what starchy food to make? Cause kids need carbohydrates. I hate to say it. Like mom's listening. You guys might hate pasta and you don't eat carbs. Children need carbohydrates, yes. but they don't need to come from go-gurts and, you know, baby food with added sugar in them. Like you right. offer whole grain foods. I don't know how to make them. Well, here's where I teach you how to make them. Yeah. Here's what they are. And, and again, that these are affordable, accessible foods. You're not buying some fancy home delivery package with a lot of trash, et cetera. Like this is just teaching babies how to eat real food. And I know sometimes parents say like, oh, baby led weaning. It's like so woo woo. But my mom also, she laughs at me. She's like, I think it's hilarious that you have like an entire career focused around teaching babies how to eat real food. Like, you know, this is just what you do when you have kids, you feed them your real food. I was like, mom, that's what you did. But there's a lot of parents who are very, you know, they're very swayed by that entire aisle of packaged and processed pouches at Target. Mm -hmm. They think Mm -hmm. that that's what they have to feed their baby because that's what, that's the marketing message that's being fed to them. Like, what do you think cave mama fed cave baby before there was a whole aisle at Target of pouches? They modified Mm -hmm. versions of the same food the rest of the family eats. Like we just... 
call it baby led weaning and there's some research to support it, but you know, commercial baby food's only even been around since the earlier part of the 20th century. Like that's the exception. My hope is that, you know, at the end of my career, I can look back and say like, remember when the default was to like force feed a baby white rice cereal by spoon and say, this is how children learn how to eat. I want that to be the exception. And the rule is no, children learn how to eat real food because the parents are making them real food. Mm. I was telling my kids about how I used to be able to smoke on an airplane the other day. They're like, what? Oh my gosh. And I was like, no, dude, there was like a smoking, like, like now we look back and we're like, that's asinine. Like, I hope we look back and was like, wow, force feeding children by spoon is not appropriate. It leads to food aversions. It leads to food refusal. It leads to picky eating when there's a much easier way to do it. Just feed your kids real food. And I know that's easier said than done. That's why we have lots of content on how to actually do that. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Smoking on airplanes. So funny that you <laughs> you bring that up. I mean, that's such a great example though, of like, when you know better, do better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like, you know, follow long-term studies. Longitudinal studies are really important. Oh my God. This is so helpful. Do you have any, and it's funny. I was just thinking about when we first got on this call and, um, and we just chatted for a few minutes doing our pre-interview stuff. And I, the first thing I said to you was, I'm trying to get my 10-year-old to eat some sort of breakfast before he can do other things because he's refusing to eat breakfast, which makes him really cranky, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like bargaining with him, like, okay, if you want to do this, you have to eat your breakfast. I'm curious. I love the autonomy that baby led weaning provides and that I'm in my, my assumption and through what you've said, I think it supports this, that that will continue to create autonomous eaters and kids who know what they want. And they also, I think about some of the philosophies around intuitive eating for adults and how like, oh, I love your examples. Like, oh, this feels like this and it looks like this and it smells like this. Am I enjoying it? How does it feel when I'm swallowing it or chewing it? Isn't it bringing me pleasure or not? Do How do I feel after I eat it? Did it give me energy? Do I feel stronger during the day? Was I able to participate in soccer? So as our kids are getting a little older, how can we keep them autonomous? but also make sure they're getting what they need. Like a ten, my 10 year old is happy to be autonomous with his food, but it's going to be like pretzels. <laughs> well, we always reference the division of responsibility in feeding theory. This is Ellen Satter, who's a registered dietitian and a licensed therapist. And she has this division of responsibility. It works for babies and big kids. And what it tells us is that we have three jobs as the parents. We are in charge of what the child eats, where they eat and when they eat. But the child is ultimately in charge of how much or even whether they eat. And so for a lot of us coming from the like clean your plate club school of upbringing, it was like, yeah. no, I tell you to finish all your food, but where's the child's autonomy in that? And all we yeah. do when we force a child to eat beyond the point of fullness is teach them how to override their fullness, their satiety cues. And then they end up in therapy for intuitive eating, which is literally, I love intuitive eating, but it's just retraining yourself to be the way you were born as a baby. Right. You inherently right. know when you're hungry because babies cry, right? When they're hungry and they inherently know when they're full, they turn their head away from the breast or the bottle. The same thing should go in the second half of infancy. When we start solid foods, we don't strip away that child's autonomy by randomly shoving an arbitrary amount of period gook down their throat. Like we want to continue what we call responsive feeding. So baby led weaning is a responsive feeding method where we still have a job. Mom, you're in charge of what the baby eats. Okay. It can't, sorry, it can't be flaming hot Cheetos and regular Dr. Pepper when they're six months old. Like it just can't. You're in charge of where they eat seated safely in a high chair. So we teach a lot about safe high chair positioning to reduce choking risk. And you're in charge of when they eat. Kids don't get to eat all day. They don't need to. Your little tiny baby needs to eat all day. Your six month old doesn't need to eat all day. Your 10 year old definitely does not need to eat all day. We need to set boundaries and guardrails, which are called mealtimes. This is when food happens. This is when milk happens. If, and when we have snacks, this is when they happen, but our job stops there. The child ultimately determines how much or even whether they eat. And for parents who are like, oh my gosh, my baby's not getting enough. I'm so nervous. They're not getting enough nutrition. Not your job. It's your yeah. baby needs lots of time to learn how to eat. And your 10 year old likes that autonomy. They need mm -hmm. time to know how do I fry an egg? Well, it would be way faster if I fried an egg, but I like let them fry eggs, even though we're probably going to break some eggs and it, you have to do the feeding stuff is the way I think about it. You might right. as well incorporate them and teach them how to do it themselves so that when they get to college, they know where food comes from and how to make it. And when they get to middle school and they start making their own autonomous decisions, right? They, we, we know about the eating habits of middle school children that they change dramatically because some of these kids, have, they've never been allowed to make the one decision about food. So yeah. allowing them to make decisions, even from their first bites is really important. Um, when I first went to college, so I'm, I was in the like no sugar cereal camp growing up and I first went to college and I remember walking into the cafeteria and they had this like multiple like conference tables set up with these huge bins of cereal. And it was like, 
Captain Crunch, Cocoa Puffs, Frosted Flakes, Lucky Charms. And like, I got to the Lucky Charms and I was like, I'm having Lucky Charms for three times a day until I graduate from college. Like Lucky Charms was like decadence when I was growing up. Like my mom literally never bought a lot. I had to have it maybe once or twice a year at a friend's house. So I ate my weight in Lucky Charms for a solid four years. And then so you had some sort of a self-correction because you're probably yeah, like, but now I'm like, now I don't ever need to eat Lucky Charms. I, uh, this is, I think your audience will appreciate this, some of them. And if they don't, they'll tell you, but I got excited this summer when my kids ate Cocoa Puffs and one of them threw up after because he ate too many of them. He's like, mom, that was way too much sugar. Yeah. And I was like, see, yeah. I like, you have to experience that yourself, right. but like, right. that is a lot of sugar. And you know, we eat sugar in our family as a dietitian. We have a variety of foods, but I was the same as you. I mean, I went freaking crazy on Diet Coke in college. Cause my mom never <laughs> let us have soda in the house, but yeah, like, yeah. you know, I mean, I had to do some sort of a self-correction there, but, but there's nothing wrong about exposure to a lot of foods. And most adults would agree that we would all benefit from eating a wider variety of foods. So you have mm-hmm. to feed your kids anyway, you might as well incorporate the variety starting from when they can start eating food. Totally. Totally. Yeah. My son went to a movie with a friend, um, like a year or two ago and they had popcorn and sugar and then some sort of slushy drink. And then after that, the family took them to dinner at like a fast food place and they got burger and fries and a milkshake. And this was like all in through. I'm like, and they put him on like a roller coaster. I mean, where's the then, story? And at? then dropped him off at like nine o'clock at night to go to bed. <laughs> and I was, I was like, Oh my God, are you going to be okay? And sure enough, at like midnight, he woke up and barfed up a whole bunch of red and I was like, what's the red? He's like, that's the cherry slushy. And, but like, you can imagine now whenever he has a slushy or like a shake or anything, he's like, I'm starting to feel a little bit full now. Like he knows what happens. If <laughs> I like when your kids start using it against you, my kid, like they, I made this like chickpea curry. We use it a lot. I'm just kind of lazy about making meat. And we had it last night and I made it a little different because I put potatoes in it and they were all like, mom, you know, my belly's starting to feel really full and I'm trying to listen to my belly. I'm like, you're just trying not to finish your dinner. I get where this is going. So it's kind oh, of backfire so sometimes yep. too. Yep. But I, I mean, it. the whole idea of listening to your belly, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because like, you know, think about Thanksgiving, like we can all eat and eat and eat until our, we know our body tells us that we're done. Like yeah. babies inherently know when they're full, but they do need time to learn how to eat these foods. That's yeah. the beauty of that six month weaning period from six to 12 months of age. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. This is so good. I want you to tell folks as we're we're getting close on time, I still have like 37 more questions for you, but I want you to tell folks how they can find you, connect with you, get access to, I mean, you obviously offer so many really helpful things, really supportive things. Um, How can people get access to your work? The best place to get started learning about baby led weaning is I teach a free online video workshop called baby led weaning for beginners. It's 75 minutes long. So, you know, we're coming out of like a TikTok era where you have about seconds to get people's attention. But if you want a comprehensive overview of what it is, how it works and how to make some of the simple starter foods safe for your baby to eat baby led weaning for beginners. I also give everyone on that free workshop, a copy of my 100 first foods list. So you'll never run out of ideas of foods your baby can eat. And all of my info is on our website, babyledweaning.co. You can check out the free workshop there. I also have a paid program that shows you how to make all of the hundred foods. And there's links out to our podcast, YouTube, Instagram, et cetera. So babyledweaning.co is the best place to go. And when people pop in there, they'll see that access to the workshop. Yep. There's a Perfect. whole tab on how to take the free workshop. That's where you okay. get the hundred first foods list and then tons of other information about. I'm going to go get the hundred first foods list for my 10 year old because. Oh, it's. You it's, mentioned some things that too. my kid has never had access. Nothing's never had access that he's never like, there's certain things he's opted to never take a bite of eggs in his life. Never a bite of yogurt, never a bite of oatmeal. There's a lot of quote unquote first foods that he just never opted into. And as a 10 year old is still not. Right. There's so many other foods that he might eat. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, so it's I'm like, really curious to go through the list and be like, oh, we haven't even thought of this one. <laughs> and sometimes it's just for ideas. Like, I'm sorry, totally. I don't have all day to scour the internet. And that's what we try to help parents. Like parents who are sick and tired of hunting and pecking all over the internet to try to piece together. Like, just we put it all together in one place. Like, because you don't have time just totally. like, to read all the books. I did it for yeah. you. This I love is it. a very safe, evidence-based approach. And I'll send you the hundred first foods list for your ten-year-old too to check it out. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I'll link up babyledweaning.co will be linked up in our show notes. Plus I have a lot of links here for social media. Um, you're on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, TikTok, LinkedIn. I mean, you are in all of the places so folks can connect with you there as well. I'll make sure that that's all linked up in our show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Katie Ferraro. And then Katie, can you last tell us how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I'm still not afraid to ask for help. Yes. If you live on my street and want to babysit. Please come over and help me. 
<laughs> I want to be the grandma, the 47 year old grandma who lives next door to you. And, and <laughs> I, well, it's funny because you mentioned like how your neighbor has a baby and I'm totally yeah. the one that's like, when are you doing? It's like in my yes. phone and I text him. Oh, I know the baby's six months. I'm like, you're such a creeper. I was like, I just oh, I know. want to help. Oh. Just call me if you need yes. help. Cause and people say, don't you miss the baby stage? No, I never want to go back. I do not recommend having seven kids in three years. We got through it, but like I get my baby fixed from work. I get to help Everyone mm. else's babies learn how to eat. And I love helping. And if you're struggling right now, remember, there are people in your community who want to help you too. Yeah. It's just about asking. Everybody wants to help a friend. You mm. are a lovely person with lovely people somewhere in your community and they can help you. You just yes. have to ask. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, thank you so much for being here, Katie. This was really fun, really enlightening. I thank you, Sarah. This was fun. I love getting to talk about a little bit more about my family because usually we just the people are like, how do you make pork safe for babies? Like this was fun to do kind of more of the family. Oh, I love stuff. The, the family deep dive. So thank you for going there with us. That was really fun. Oh my gosh, Katie, this was great. Next time you have something to share, any updates on your work, anything you want to come back and talk about, you're always welcome here. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.